like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Today we're traveling over to New York to visit with Denise Jordan Finley, a singer-songwriter with depth of spirit and breadth of musical style, with, I think, a taproot in folk and Americana music. She's got decades of experience, performed as part of different duos over those decades, and has really just got her stride in songwriting in the last decade and a half. Denise Jordan Finley joins us by phone from New York. Denise, thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. It's a delight and an honor. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to have you here with me. We've been working toward this for quite a while. Have you had an especially busy time on the music circuit, or is it that you have a rich personal life, or what is it that keeps your schedule so very full? I have to say it's always that way, and all of the above. Everything that you've said, yes. One of the bumps we had to get by was the Christmas season last month. Is that a time of year where a person like you, who performs folk or Americana-style music, is specifically in demand for performances, or does the demand slack off so that you can do more homey things in December? I'm definitely working very hard on my music at that time, but usually it's not the same kind of thing I'm doing maybe in the middle of the summer. I tend to do my musical directing playing private parties and, you know, Christmas affairs and that sort of thing. So I have a different repertoire. You know, you mentioned musical direction, and I think you're referring to the church musical direction you do, or do you do other kinds of musical direction, like community choirs or whatever? Is it all with the church, and can you talk about that a bit? Sure. I was a public school teacher and also teaching in the private school, everywhere from preschool up through high school senior so I, I'm educated to be a musical director, vocal music mainly, and most recently I am the musical director at an incredible country Presbyterian church, which is, it would be just scratching the surface to say an anachronism. It's literally in the middle of a cornfield with a little old cemetery with headstones that are hundreds of years the church itself is several hundred years old, and when I'm there, I play a Steinway from 1864. The church is amazing. Everything in it is antique, including perhaps a majority of the congregation, <laughs> but we're trying to bring in, we've been bringing in younger people, I think, in recent years. I sometimes play the hymns at the service on the piano or the organ, and right now the most exciting part for me is a little choir that started out as a trio, I think, and now we have about a dozen people, all inexperienced singers and very quaint in the fact that we had to start with very simple music and almost went with the Andy of Mayberry kind of effect that the whole scene gives. 
But I'm so excited because they always make progress every time I can see them progress to new levels of proficiency, and it's so much fun. Are you a Presbyterian? Well, I was baptized a Catholic, but my mother married a Presbyterian back in those days in the 50s. Before you were married, you had to agree to different things. So one of the things was the Catholics had to raise the children Catholic, and the Protestant partner had to agree to that. So my father was very easygoing and open-minded about things, so he said, that's fine. So my sister and I were raised Catholic and went to Sunday school and religious instruction and all of that sort of thing. And I went on to be the coordinator of religious instruction in the Catholic Church where I live, went on to be one of the musicians there. And a couple of things happened and things evolved and my kids became young adults. And there were some things about the Catholic Church that I I felt were too strict, just really kind of narrow. And one of them that I'll tell you is that my son is gay. And according to the Catholic Church, well, as you well know, my son can't get married in the church. And there were other things that were being taught in Sunday school and that were being kicked around in the media about the church's stand on homosexuality. And one morning, I just woke up and I said, you know what? If my son is going to hell, I'm going to go with him. That's a loving mother. Well, and more than that, you know, it caused me to think and to say, I can't be a member of something that I don't believe. You know, I don't believe my son deserves any less than anyone else. So I actually had to talk to the priest who was there at the time. I was working in the office as the coordinator of religious education, and I said, you know, I, this, was bef- this was before he really came out. And I said... <laughs> coordinator of religious yeah, education. Yeah, you know. Wow. You know, it, it, it was weird. So I said to him, you know, I think I'm really sure that my son is gay. We have all the signs, and he hasn't come out yet, but he's going off to college. And what are your feelings on this? And he said that he had been ordained in a church in New York City, which was the only Catholic church in New York City that welcomed the gays and that in their Sunday school program. I'm laughing just because it's so archaic to this part of the state. But he said, you know, the parents would come to pick up the kids, and it was mom and mommy and dad and daddy, and nobody cared. Everything was cool, and nobody thought anything of it. But every gay in New York City who wanted to maintain their standing in the Catholic Church went to this one. So this priest revealed himself as being very, very liberal, which made me feel good. And he said probably one of the most mind-changing spiritual things that had ever been introduced to me when he said, because something is called a sin, can't be a sin if in your heart you don't believe it. And I think a lot of Catholics beat on themselves because they're being told that something is wrong and that they're sinning, but they don't believe it. And he said, the real spirit, the real God is in your heart, regardless of what any church or any authority or any doctrine says, you have to be true to the spirit that's in your heart.
Unfortunately for that priest, <laughs> I proceeded to leave that church because I really didn't, I just really couldn't do it. I just, I suddenly, you know, I had this epiphany. And to make a long story short, my mother's a Catholic. She knew that I was going over and taking my job at the post uh, of musical director at this Presbyterian church. And she said, well, are you still a Catholic? Are you still going to Mass? And I said, "What?" Was, which was true, my job doesn't permit me to go to both churches because they're functioning at the same time. So I'm over in the Presbyterian church now, and she kind of thought that over. My mother's 94, and one of the most amazing liberal thinkers that I know. So she thought that over for a minute, and I said, look, I'm in my 50s, and uh, I was a Catholic for the first half of my life, so now I'm going to be a Presbyterian for the second half of my life because that's what Daddy was. That was good enough for her. But as it is, I think of myself as a person who acknowledges that I am incapable of understanding everything that there is out there, acknowledging there must be something that's responsible for the order of the universe, and I'm happy with that. I go from church to church as a musician, basically, and I respect whatever the people are doing in the church, and I know that I contribute to their worship with my music, but I do not call myself a member of the Presbyterian Church, and I I really don't intend to. I like being a free agent for myself. But your work has been with music, so how about getting us started with the music for your Song of the Soul? Good. I would like to start with Memorial Day. And the reason I'd like to start with that is because it does relate a little bit to what we've been discussing. Memorial Day was written as I was walking through the cemetery in Pine Plains and saw an inscription on a headstone that said, Sleep, sweet baby, take thy rest. God was watching. He knew best. And that struck me as being very much worth pondering. The year on the headstone was in the early 1800s. So I thought about who etched that, who had died, was a little child. By the time I took a stroll around the cemetery and passed my father's headstone in doing so, all of the lyrics of this song were in place, and I came home and picked up my instrument, put the music to it. I think the uh, words, the lyrics of the song are self-explanatory from that point on. We'll listen now to Memorial Day, written by Denise Jordan Finley, performed by Finley and Pagden, and it's from the album Hauntress. Sleep, sweet baby, take thy rest. God was watching. upon a headstone telling words of farewell so compelling Here lies our dear Rosemary died in Live we may and die we must 
Denise Jordan Finley. She's with us today for Song of the Soul. She performs these days as part of a duo, Finley and Pagden, website finleyandpagden.com, and you'll find a link to them on northernspiritradio.org. And again, Memorial Day is from your album Hauntress. Why Hauntress, Denise? My spell check told me that's not a real word. No, it's. I was told that too. There are a few reasons for that name. One of them, the most ordinary part, is that physically, I'd like to say I'm in very good shape. I'm wiry, I'm thin. Although I'm not a great athlete, I'm a dancer. So someone said to me that I was Diana the Huntress. And I thought, well, that's cool. And I went online and I looked to see what this famous statue is. It did kind of look like me. You know, it was kind of flat-chested, skinny, but gracefully. In fact, archery I was quite good at at some point in my life. So I said, well, that's cool. And then somebody was joking about it, and they said, so you're a huntress? I said, well, I'm more of a hauntress. And the reason I said that was probably related to another conversation that had gone on at the same time where we were looking at the songs we were going to put on the album, and I realized that my songs tend to be about death or dying or some spiritual theme. 
In fact, I think my partner, my bassist, is the one who brought up the word hauntress. And I thought, well, you know, I almost needed justification for the fact that that first album that we did together was dark. It's dark, but it's also hopeful. So I thought, well, maybe it's haunting. You know, maybe saying that the songs are haunting will give people an idea what to expect. So the album is called Hauntress. The artwork is black and white, and uh, the songs are all dark in their way, I would say, but also intriguing and interesting, I think. One of the things that interests me about the lyrics of that song, uh, I end up having problems. I mean, I, I probably accept it on some level, but I have problems with the idea that God decided to cut short this child's life. Oh, yeah. Or that the soldiers, that they're victims of God's order or God's will or whatever. I I don't tend to think of it that way. Yes. So when you get to the end of the song with a real change in thought pattern, yes. <laughs> could you say what you mean by those last verses where you talk about us taking responsibility and participating in this? I love what you said about it. You obviously looked at those words with an open mind and an open heart. This headstone back in the early 1800s was put there by a family who, like other families at the time, had a certain number of children. They also had maybe an equal number of children who either died early or didn't even make it through childbirth. And this was before the kind of medicine we have now. This was a common occurrence. And you had to explain to yourself, why would a two-year-old baby have to die? And I think the most consoling thing they could say was, because that's what God wanted. So there's the baby dying. And then, of course, you've got the multitude of soldiers that die. And we try to justify that by saying, you know, they're fighting. They, They fought so we would fight no more. So the last verse of the song comes back to the present with me doing what I was doing. A lot of people hear the song and hear wandering from stone to stone, but the actual lyric is wandering from stone to stone. Must God be watching all alone? Are we going to lay all of this on God? Or are some of these deaths things that we can we could prevent? And maybe we are, in a sense, the Lord's of the life around us modestly to say we share it with God, but does it have to all be God's decision what happens as we stand by and worry or pray in solitude? There's some deep and insightful thoughts there, and it's one of the reasons that I've come to love your songs, your voice, your lyrics, your instrumental work. It all adds up to a really special experience. So why don't you give us another song? Well, you had, uh, when you were mentioning the songs that you knew of mine, you had said, what child is this? And in fact, on the Solstice album from which it comes, there's an introduction to the song, which is an instrumental called Solomon. So, you know, if anyone is looking at their Solstice album of mine, they will see Solomon slash What Child Is This? But the interesting thing about What Child Is This is that most people are familiar with that as a Christmas carol. There are the lyrics and they are reminiscent of um, this child who is destined to be something pretty great because shepherds are coming off the fields away from their sheep just to see what's going on. There's angels in heaven singing and praising and all of this stuff is happening around this child. I put a pretty contemporary chord progression under it while I sang the melody in the traditional way in the first verse. 
So it sounds on first listen as though I'm doing a version of the traditional carol. But in the second verse, I change the melody a little bit and make it more minor, even more minor, I should say. And the lyric is bringing it up to the present. Homeless was she with her ragged baby without any money to buy a warm room. On the streets of New York and the London subway, they are there and everywhere on a midwinter's day. This now is Christ the King, the lonely, the hungry, the cold suffering. What can you do if it's all up to you? In the name of the Son of Mary. Now that one causes a little bit more of a response, saying, "Well, what are you, you know, <laughs> what are you saying here? You know that this baby wasn't God or whatever." And that's it's really not what I'm saying, but it's the same theme. The child that's there, as the story tells us, was so poor the parents they didn't have a place to stay. They had to go into a barn for shelter. Look at the homeless on our streets. Those are the ones who, if you believe in the Christmas story or, or even the message in the Christmas story, those people out on the streets, those are the ones that the story is talking about, embodied in Jesus. So it's the same theme again. You know, don't just sit there and sing your Christmas carols and reminisce about the lovely manger scene. Get out there and help somebody who really needs it. Well, it seems to me that you're pretty well-founded in your theology here. I mean, in the 25th chapter of Matthew, Jesus is quoted as saying that whatever we've done to the least of these, the homeless, poor, hungry, starving, or imprisoned, that you did it to me. So it appears you're completely consistent with the biblical tradition. So it's interesting to me that you get pushed back on this as if it were somehow dishonoring what Jesus came and said and stood for. Well, you know what? It, it's not so much that it's dishonoring or that the idea isn't good, but people, when you play it, you'll see what I'm saying, it makes what child is this into kind of a maudlin song. You know, when people want to be merry, they want to be God rest ye merry gentlemen. And here comes this maudlin song about these miserable people and how we have to get away from the fire and go out. And people just don't want to hear that at Christmas time. So, you know, I don't apologize for it, but that one is a tougher pill to swallow than Memorial Day, I think. Well, then, I won't apologize for it either. So let's get all maudlin and listen to a wonderful version of What Child Is This? by Denise Jordan Finley, performing in the duo finleyandpagden.com. What Child Is This? Thank you. 
Pagden's CD, Solstice. The song is What Child Is This? And we have Denise Jordan Finley with us for Song of the Soul, a Northern Spirit Radio production on the web at northernspiritradio.org. And I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet. On our site, you can listen to and download seven and a half years of our programs, find where we're broadcast, find links to our guests, and, very important, a place to leave comments. We love hearing from you, including if you use the donate button to help support this show. Your help makes a tremendous difference to us. You just heard a great update on the song, What Child Is This? That's the way I hear it, at least. Again, the lyrics, your voice, the arrangement, it's its wonderful to see all this put together so well. Do you do a lot of songs related to religious or spiritual themes or topics? Because, after all, aren't most songs supposed to be about love and heartbreak? Well, when I do occasionally turn on the radio... It seems that the music that we're listening to today, and and not when I say today, I mean like the last 50 years anyway, or 60, it's about personal relationships with lovers. 
an awful lot of it is, which is fine because it's a really important part of life. But as a, as a rebel, I try not to write that kind of song. I work really hard because it seems like there's enough of that. Consequently, my stuff seems a little more dark, I think, because it's not about romantic love, which everybody loves. Well, I'm glad that we've got the option because as much as I love love and songs about it, it's good to have some variety in our diet, and you're giving us a good sample of it. But I want you to keep enhancing our audio nutrition. So what's up next on your Song of the Soul list? Well, we were talking about my familiarity with the Bible, and I think it's funny because I people haven't said that to me maybe ever quite the way you did. And I'm looking at my songs and saying, well... Yeah, I guess my biblical background does kind of pop out every now and then. So the next song that I'll bring up is How Fair Is My Baby. And the thing that someone told me struck them about How Fair Is My Baby is that it paraphrases the Magnificat. So there is this sort of preface to Christmas that is read in the churches where Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth They're both pregnant, and Elizabeth says, at the sound of your greeting, the babe in my womb leapt for joy. And then Mary goes on and starts talking about her baby. I thought, well, here's a 14-year-old girl. Now, in our society, a 14-year-old girl being a mother is just unspeakable. It happens, of course, but it's it's not a good thing, really, and, and nobody feels that she's prepared or has any insight or certainly any wisdom about the condition that she's in. But here in this gospel, we have this young girl talking about what her baby is going to become, and she expounds about how great he is going to be over evil, and he's going to lift the downtrodden, and he's going to do all of this stuff. So that's where my head was when How Fair Is My Baby was coming out. Sleep you now, my baby fair, while you have no care. When you awaken, you'll see all the world in misery. And when you feel their pain, your Now we're 
creation from Denise Jordan Finley, How Fair Is My Baby, on both of Finley and Pagden's albums, Hauntress and Solstice. And by the way, you told us where Hauntress got its name. What about Solstice? Where did that come from? Well, I have to give you some background on the way I record. First of all, I've been writing music seriously for maybe 14 years or so, and that's out of I choke as I say this, it's out of about 45 years of songwriting, but only the last 12 or so have I really been proud of what I've written and let them out of the bag and say, I'm proud to sing this and uh, to play it, to record it. So when a song comes out, there is a sort of a peak when you still have a lot of adrenaline and a lot of excitement about something you're creating. I try to catch the song at its peak. I'm excited and energetic about it. I go to the studio and record the song and then do nothing with it. I call it banking up. So there are a number of songs. I think I have about 48, maybe 50 songs in the studio at this time. And we decide we want to put an album out. So we go to the bank and we say, well, this if we put this group together, we would come out with this sort of theme. Solstice came about because we wanted to release an album. Many people had suggested that a seasonal album is always a good idea. So we took songs from the studio that we felt went with this. I deliberately didn't make it a Christmas album. A lot of the songs on there are just about the images and the stories and the spirit of wintertime in the Northeast where I am. So since we're talking about the album Solstice, probably it would make sense to play Solstice Song at this point. It's based on a folk melody which people will recognize as the star of the county down or if you know your hymnal, you might recognize it as I heard the voice of Jesus. So this is Solstice Song. I heard your voice upon the wind as again as you call out your name when I feel your frosty breath tears will fall like snow who may melt your heart of ice who may only know the musky scent of earth's decay hangs heavy
if spring should wake, what winter white would wear? Who may own the mystery? Who may only Solstice Song from the CD Solstice by Finley and Pagden. Denise Jordan Finley is our Song of the Soul guest today. Solstice is their second CD together. And I, I think, Denise, you said you've got another CD coming out soon. Is that right? There's a third and a fourth. The next one coming out is actually mastered and most of the way through the artwork and copy, and that's called Girl on the Rhythm Guitar. And the songs on there are more traditional in flavor and a little bit more evocative of bluegrass and Americana. And then there's one after that that's coming that seems to be evolving as a more jazz-sounding thing. And we're kicking around the title of Beyond a Window for that. Girl on the Rhythm Guitar is coming out this winter. The other one will come out when when it's ready. <laughs> Can't rush God's time, or maybe it's Denise Jordan Finley's time. But I do want to rush you a little bit so that we get in all of the fine music that you've picked out to share. So let's have another sample of your song of the soul. Okay, well, we're on Solstice, and we can put two songs together rather quickly for that one. There is Don Anobis Pachem, which is a traditional song. It goes back to medieval times. It's in Latin, and the words mean grant us peace. It's up on YouTube and, in fact, has been very popular up there as one of the simplest versions of the song, probably the way it was originally meant to be sung and performed And the other song on Solstice is It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. And I've done with this what I did with What Child Is This? And that is that I've brought the lyrics up to date, made it more of a universal thing. It's a little different from some of the other ones in that it is definitely straight ahead, traditional bluegrass style. In fact, when I played with a bluegrass band many years ago, Yonder City, which was fronted by Dick Staber on mandolin, So I brought Dick Staber back after many years of not seeing him to come into the studio in Woodstock and to play the mandolin part, which you hear on the recording. Yeah. 
of music from Finley and Pagden. Denise Jordan Finley here today with a song whose lyrics she rewrote for It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. But first you heard Dona Nobis Pachum, sung beautifully by Denise, with Denise, and with Denise in a round. <laughs> it must have been a bit tempting to bring in a choir there. I take it that Daniel Pagden, your partner in the duo Finley and Pagden, I take it he doesn't sing much if he's <laughs> capable of it. Is that something that seems missing to you? Because in previous duos and groups you performed with, you've always been one of several voices. Well, I think every duo or band I've ever been with has had other people singing with me. In fact, eight years ago, more than eight years ago, when Daniel Pagden joined me, he was the bass player. He wasn't even listed in the billing it probably seemed to the onlooker that he was interchangeable. But as it turned out, he loved my music so much that he became an integral part of the performance to the point where he, almost from the very beginning, could not be replaced by another individual on his instrument. He plays six-string contrabass guitar, which allows him to play lead guitar as well as bass, which you have heard on some of these songs. He's a terrific co-writer, wonderful player, and no, he does not sing. I have tried, just even as a novelty, to get him to sing something, and he can sing, unfortunately or happily. When he does sing, it's usually taking a song, mine or some other well-known song, and singing sometimes really profane lyrics um, <laughs> that rhyme. <laughs> and I mean, he's done it with mine, and I'll get to his song during you know, a concert, during a gig, that I know the words that he has put into it, and I get distracted enough, not that I sing them, but that I get a glorious smile on my face because I'm just thinking of how awful he is in that practice. But um, <laughs> nevertheless, he doesn't sing in public. He's going to be a hit on Song of the Soul. Yes, he will really shake you up. (laughs) Well, looks like we've got time for just one more song for your Song of the Soul. How can we finish this off? The last song is finally going back to Hauntress' album. This is just outside of time. 
the kernel, the grain that started this song rolling was the death of one of my partners in music. He was, for his whole life, from babyhood, literally passionately in love with trains. And he knew everything about every kind of train. And he wrote songs about trains, and he had stories about trains. When he died, he was very, very ill from juvenile diabetes. He died at 53, and he happened to be in my car. We were going someplace when he took his last breath. Ironically, when he left this life, we were at a stop sign facing the railroad track in Pauling, New York, which was one block away from where his house was. So I wrote this song just outside of time as sort of a letter from him to his friends after death telling us that he was just outside of time. And I know that he had a real vision of where he was going after he died. And some of the lyrics in the song are actually things that happened the day he died or things that he said revolving around the subject of death. So this one is very mystical, and uh, it rocks just a little bit more than the other songs that we've listened to on this show, Mark. Looks like a great way to complete your Song of the Soul. I love your music, Denise. I'm so glad to get exposed to it. And I think that New York is so fortunate to have you over in that area. I do hope you'll drop by Eau Claire, Wisconsin sometime. And thanks so much for joining us for Song of the Soul. I want to thank you for giving a really, really good interview. Best ever. It's been so much fun talking to you, Mark. I will definitely get out to Wisconsin to see you someday. Thank you so much for inviting me. Just outside of time, Denise Jordan Finley. Time has come for my surrender. Tell my mother not to pine. I am gone, but remember, I'm just outside of time. Just outside the sorrow Now I ride my phantom train Just outside tomorrow I am bound for home Outside the station I can hear The whistle of wine As I find my destination I'm just outside of time
my fleeting face in the looking glass finds my friend to tell them Music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be-